Hello and welcome to another edition of the Mexican Soccer Show. I'm your host, Cesar Hernandez, and today is all about the Liga Becky's final, wrapping up 2019, and then also uh, wrapping up the decade in uh, Mexican soccer. Uh, let me introduce my co-host for tonight. Let's start with Amy Lopez over in Los Angeles. Amy, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um, just a disclaimer to all those listening. Obviously, my children are always with me, so there might be a chance you'll hear them at some point during this pod. If not, my mic will be muted. But uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to be part of this episode, the last episode of the year. We might we might have the, the Jack and Ollie corner later on, right? Like, kind of give them, like, a minute or so just to hear their thoughts on, on America. We might as well, right? All, all they'll probably say is, no, Amy, all done, all done. No more soccer. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And we also have Tom in Mexico City. Tom, are, are you out uh, partying with uh, Vincent Jansen? Or are you in Guadalajara? Where are you at? Are you are, how, <laughs> how many beers are you are you into the night? Are you also wearing a, a sombrero oh, yeah. or a cowboy hat? <laughs> Just a regular day for me, sir. sir. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish I was with Vincent Jansen. Looks like he's having the time of his life. You know what I mean? Just all these videos popping him up, popping up of him like playing hide and seek with fans and stuff and. You know, with his sombrero on there, and I don't know, he's just like having the time of his absolute life. So, fair play to him. I mean, you know, I don't know. It was I just sent out a tweet earlier before, and you know, sometimes when you look at it from an outside view, it's like when Mexico has two titles a year. In theory, you know, that should water it down. But I don't know when when the team wins the title, it does. It just means so much. You know what I mean? And if America had won, you know, that it would have meant so much. And even before the game, the America fans, it was absolutely crazy. I mean, it was a uh, a really brilliant atmosphere last night, and and you know, fair play to uh, to Monterrey for for getting the job done on penalties. Yeah, so let's get started with that because usually we have the big question of the day, but I think we have so much to go over in this show, so we're just going to dive straight into it, and we're going to talk about last night's second leg of Liga Mikey's final. After uh, there was an aggregate draw, the game went into extra time. Uh, after that, the game went to penalties. And through penalties, like Tom said right there, Vincent Jansen, he was actually one, the first one to score off penalties. Uh, we saw two misses from America during that penalty shootout. Uh, and Lionel Vangioni got the got the the final penalty that gave Monterrey the title. Tom, you're, let's start with you. I mean, just immediate reactions to that game. You were at that match. We were all incredibly jealous. Of, well, for me, mostly the, the taco stuff, you know, that you usually post before the game. <laughs> but, Tom, just, just your immediate thoughts uh, at being at uh, Monterrey's... Uh, championship match no yeah it was great it was a uh, you know I, I didn't think the game was brilliant to be honest um it was a, it was a strange game as well yeah um but you know we'll, we'll get into that but just the, the atmosphere was yeah it was superb i mean you know I, I know i've said it before but there's few places better to be than in the estadio azteca when you know club america are going for a title or the mexican national team are playing a really big game you know usually it's against the states because there's not that many others in the CONCACAF region that provide that kind of, you know, intensity. So, um, and yeah, I mean, it was absolutely brilliant. I mean, the America fans welcomed the team in and it was, you know, it felt like they absolutely were absolutely up for it, absolutely believed that it was going to happen. And to be fair, the way America started, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, <laughs> the, the ball was in the net after three minutes, you know, disallowed. Then after six minutes, another goal. Then another one disallowed after 25, and then another goal just before half time. I mean, you know, America were just very, very good. They looked absolutely on it. Um, it wasn't easy because of the injuries they've had, the suspensions. You know, Renato Ibarra being being rushed back really from injury. Um, you know, even even uh, Roger Martinez wasn't. You know, that that's not his natural position, especially in a 4-4-2 to play out wide. Um, and so there, there were a lot of issues for America, but um, they flew out the blocks and. Honestly, the atmosphere in the first half when America were kind of, I don't know, it just felt it was like the natural thing that was going to happen was that America were just going to absolutely storm to the title and it was going to be 3-4-0 and another one of those occasions where, you know, the America fans who like, they like to be arrogant, you know, um, could, you know, turn around after the game and say, look, you guys from up north, you think you're this, you think you're that, but look, we, we still kind of, you know, are, are in charge. We're still the big team in Mexico and Mascarandi. Yeah, well, technically speaking, America did win the game. It was two to one. But of course, yeah, like I mentioned earlier, you got the aggregate draw there because uh, uh, Monterrey won two to one the first leg. So that sent them to extra time. And then penalties were Monterrey ended up getting the win. 
But Amy, your thoughts on the match? Uh, what, what were your thoughts, whether it be kind of like the scenes from watching from home or just on the, uh, the tactics itself? You know, what, what were your thoughts, your initial thoughts after after watching the, that second leg? Well, obviously, I was I was uh, part of the Ligia Madness that I unfortunately lost. I'm so upset about that. <laughs> but but I really did think with the way that America was playing, you can say objectively or partially subjectively, sure, given my preference for them. Um, I really thought that they were going to do the comeback. So that's why I yeah. said, you know what, let Monterrey get that win at home. Um and then have America come back and get the win at home at the Azteca that they've been doing so well these uh, this entire playoffs. And when you get that first goal in the sixth minute, you think that that's exactly what's going to happen. Um, you even get a second goal that's overruled for through VAR for a handball, and you're still like America's playing really well. They're they're coming forward. They're doing exactly what they, we I thought or like you know some people thought you know the Azteca is entirely different um, situation for people that come to visit. So you know you think that it's going to happen, and then. Um, slowly but surely, Mohamed and Monterrey start making the right decisions. Layun is taken out. You know, you bring on Jansen. You, you make these necessary. You bring on Montes. You bring in these necessary players, and you see the immediate change that you're just like, oh, um, Monterrey can can very well do this. That momentum that they had at the Club World Cup facing against Liverpool, you start kind of seeing that team coming back. And then, sure enough, you get that goal, and then all of a sudden it's getting interesting, and then you go to extra time. And you're you're kind of thinking America has Ochoa, who is you know infamous for you know do, kind of being there for play for teams when it comes to PK shootouts. And you're kind of just thinking it's going to go either way. It can go either way the entire time. Kind of what Tom is saying, right? It's just like it was exciting and intense the entire duration of the match. And I really like that aspect of of that. I kind of I kind of like the. The narrative of um, America getting their 14th and, you know, Piojo kind of redeeming himself. I've always kind of liked the passion that he has. Yeah, it's been kind of overzealous at times, but I kind of like the maturity that he's had. And even the season that America's had so inconsistently kind of just coming back. But Monterrey had their own narrative. You know, they (laughs) barely made the playoffs and all of a sudden they're undefeated the entire time, excluding that Liverpool game. Um, And then, of course, for me, having gone to the Liga MX Femenil final, I kind of did want to see a joint celebration. So that aspect of it is really cool for me. But I did really enjoy the fact that it, it was literally like just exciting to the very last second. You didn't know what was going to happen. And I really liked that aspect of it a lot. So she's so celebrating New Year's a bit early. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah, no, he was, I mean... I think um, from my point of view, I don't know. I think the big question was what what happened with Monterrey because I thought they were absolutely dead and buried there. You know, yeah. at the time going in two zero, it was like I don't know. I don't know how they kind of plucked up the strength. I mean, I don't know. I just think it's one of those examples of where yeah, obviously we can talk about the tactics and you know I do think taking Pizarro out and bringing on Jansen and you know going more direct. I think that helps. I think you know. Uh, pulling out Layun and 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 sliding across um, Stefan Medina to right back, I just thought it showed up the the Monterrey defense as well because I thought Cesar Monte was great when he came on, you know, and playing a, a lot more direct game. I just thought, you know, because America tired as well, but playing a more direct game, I thought that it gave Monterrey, you know, more possibilities. I mean, if you've got two players the quality of Jansen and uh, Rahelio Funes Mori, and you just get the ball to him, then you've got a chance. And I think that was basically the tactic. Let's get him. Let's get the, let's get those two on the ball as much as possible, and um, yeah, I mean it it worked out for him, but it was an absolutely monumental display of you know guts basically, um, yeah. because it wasn't yeah. it wasn't like they were playing great football. It was just a, a determination, a determination that I think come from you know this amazing run they've had, you know sneaking into the playoffs on the last day, um, going over going over to the Club World Cup and pushing Liverpool so close, you know. Antonio Mohamed in the morning of the game going to the Basilica de, de la Virgen de, de Guadalupe and, and you know, going praying and, and the promise that he'd made to his, his son, Farid, who died in 2006 tragically from a car crash. You know, he'd made the promise that, you know, one day he would lift the title with, with Monterrey. Um, and, and so it was that kind of emotion, that kind of just drive and the will. You know, there's so, so many stories with the Monterrey players as well. I mean, let's not forget Miguel Layun. He might have had a bad game, but you know, he's won, he's won the Concacaf Champions League. He's won, 
He's won the Liga MX title now with his, uh, you know, in his since returning to Mexico. He's also recovered from cancer. You know, he's, I mean, what a monumental year he's had, and to cap it with that was was amazing. So I thought there was narr- narratives all over the place. Um, but yeah, I mean, from from the Copa America point of view, disappointing. I mean, it, I mean, it's so so fine margin. Yeah, I don't. So, I mean, you know, yeah, I think it kind of. I think it's kind of what you said, though, Tom. I think you said it perfectly in your in your article that you wrote recently. It's kind of like this matter of divine intervention. You know, there's so many little factors that played into this. Uh, you know, that last minute goal from Monterrey in the first leg. You know, the the defensive error that leads to Monterrey getting the goal in the second leg. The PK shootout with you know, yeah, Guido and Nico Castillo just missing their goals. Like, there's so many little factors that just worked out that. You can't completely say that America necessarily super blew it, but you can yeah. also get, take yeah. away credit from Monterrey. No, I think also, sorry, apologies. My internet cut out for a little bit there. Hopefully, I assume Amy and Tom were just kind of like sitting there blankly and wondering what was going on. But anyway, but speaking about America, I think I think actually, is it is it fair to assume that, or is it fair to say that they, I thought they played quite well for most of the series? I thought the first leg, I thought Fiojo kind of got it right for the most part. I think he was, you know, kind of clearly like aiming for for a big away draw there, and it were not for Rafael Funes Mori stepping up in a very uh, last minute there, they could have gotten a pretty big away win. And I think in the in the second leg, I mean, I thought they completely obliterated uh, Monterrey in the first half, and they probably should have been up three or four nothing by halftime. You know, yeah. I, I I think the big factor here. I mean, obviously, I'm not saying that Monterrey is not worthy of winning the title. No credit to that. I'm, I'm I'm quite happy, you know, to see someone like Monterrey, you know, lift the title. But I think I I just feel like I, I still feel like America played quite well, and I feel like America fans should still be quite you know, you know proud of this team. And I know that when you're an America fan, that you you your expectations are very high, and you're and you expect consistent you know consistent success and you know winning titles regularly. But I thought I, I thought America was a little unlucky in, in these yeah, two legs. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's good, you know, a good analysis. I mean, the other the other thing that I'd, I'd add is, you know, Cordoba getting that that red card. Yeah. If that doesn't happen in the first leg, then I don't, you know, America, you know, they're they're, they're going to threaten. Um, so I thought that was I, I just thought, you know, and it feeds into the same thing. It was like there's key moments in the game that didn't go America's way. Yeah. You know, and um, and one of them, you know, the red card was obviously a mistake. You know, our individual mistakes that didn't go the way. And then, you know, Funes Mori's goal in the last seconds. I mean, yeah. that's just a freak. Like, that's not a goal you see every week. Or you Jorge know, Sanchez's kind of... mistake. Jorge Sanchez's mistake that, that caused that, that, that lone goal from Monterrey, from, from Funes Mori again, you know? So I, yeah. I think they're, they're just individual. Vinas hitting the bar with five minutes yeah. to go. You know, with a really good header, it, it hits the bar. I mean, you know, the, the, the red card, I think, in uh, late on, on Bangione. Who who ended up scoring the winning penalty? I mean, it, I mean, it probably was a, a second yellow, you know. But you cannot, you know. I thought Guido Rodriguez could have had a second yellow as well, to be honest. But yeah. That would have probably worked in America's favor, looking back on the penalties. But, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, there was little between the teams. I think there's there's little between the teams. I think that I thought that I mean, again, there's two ways of looking at this. That, you know, especially looking at tactically from the second leg, I thought. Miguel Herrera got it spot on in the first half in terms of they absolutely battered him, like you said, Cesar. I mean, yeah. Monterrey played the back five and it kind of, you know, obviously they wanted to keep it tight. They wanted to do what they did against Liverpool, hit on the counter-attack. It didn't work. I mean, America just looked completely superior. It looked like Monterrey were just kind of inviting him on, just coming, yeah, coming to tackles. And then America obviously playing with a front line of, of pretty much four. Just, it just kind of took the invitation and said, all right, then let's have it. <laughs> and, and Monterrey had no answer. But then, but then the other question is: after half time, Mohamed changes it up. He plays with the front two, switches to a back four. I think that's where you question a little bit about Piojo Herrera. Yeah. I, I, I didn't. I didn't think the game was obviously slipping. Not slipping away. That's not the right word because America were. They were never totally dominated by any means. It just felt like when you know, and it was a mistake. There was this the lack of adaptation. Goal. Yeah, okay. it just felt like you could see the game was just being wrestled like an arm wrestle. And it wasn't much in it. It wasn't like they were getting slammed down, but it was just like slowly being forced, slowly being forced. And and, and, and in the end, you know, Monterrey just about did enough. But um, 
Yeah, and I, I've, just, I've just looked at the expected goals over the two legs. I think Monterrey just about took it, but I think a lot of that is down to that that period in the first leg where where America were down to ten players. So yeah, yeah very little between the teams, and I don't know. You just, you just felt like this was going to be such a tight final, but I, I, I think at the end of the day, like like I was saying there with with Amy there, it's it's a Herculean performance that from Monterrey in terms yeah. of not the quality, not the quality. He wasn't quality. He was very direct. He was pretty ugly. He wasn't great football. Let's not kind of start lying about you know this beautiful Rayados team. It was ugly. But the kind of the guts, the the personality, the character that that team showed when the players were clearly, clearly just uh, they looked dead on their feet. But to produce, to keep producing, to yeah. keep flying into the tackles, to keep stopping America, I thought was um, you know that that's what I probably stress more than you know obviously the. The, the American mistakes and stuff. Yeah, or like I mean, you you look at that first half. You know, uh, you look at the scoreline. You you look at how many chances America have had. You know, how many Liga Mekis teams would be able to bounce back after that first half? You know, the, the way that Rayados did. I, I don't think there are very many that'd be able to do that. How many players? Let's say like like Charlie like like Charlie Rodriguez would be able to continue fighting and fighting and fighting, creating opportunities. You know, I, I think someone else who I think stood out too. You know, coming off the bench, the impact that Vincent Jansen had, too. I know that it's, he stands out a lot to begin with just because, you know, he's not a typical Liga Mekis player because he's coming over. He's coming over from, uh, you know, with his time from Spurs. So obviously there's yeah. a lot that kind of stands out about him. But he was definitely a game changer as well. I, I thought he was one of their better players. I thought the, the best player of the second half for me uh, of that game. So I, I think yeah, you got to give... He yeah. gave him no rest. I mean, I think him and Funes Mori... They just gave the American defense absolutely no rest, and yeah. that was that was that was key in the end, even in the mistake, because it was like in the first half maybe Jorge Sanchez, you know, he's more he's more tranquilo, he has more time, and he can, you know what I mean. But but he knew that he knew that every time El Toro Jansen or, or Pavon or, or, or Funes Mori were, were were chasing him down, and um, yeah, big big from Jansen, and I think the other one was the defense. I mean. The other, the other young Mexican, Cesar Montes. I mean, yeah. you know, he's been absolutely brilliant this this month. I mean, he's really, yeah. really under Antonio Mohamed, really showing once again. You know, like I know we we discussed previously, Cesar, I know about the the problems of, of who could be the centre back in the future oh, yeah. for the Mexican national team. Yeah. I mean, when you when you watch Cesar Montes play like that, um, then that, that's there's your answer. He's there. Well, it gives you hope for depth, you know, and I, I think there are a lot of Mexican national team fans who are very, very worried about depth when it comes to you know central defensive positions, and that that makes you feel better. That makes you feel more relieved, especially after seeing the performances you've seen from Salcedo recently. Because I don't, I don't know what's going on with Salcedo there, but, uh, but yeah, no, that that definitely made <laughs> yeah. me feel much better. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure, and uh, you know, on, on the on the downside, uh, well, on the positive, I thought Charlie Rodriguez again was yeah. was very good. I don't think he was as good against Liverpool, but I mean, he just got something really special. And you know, talking to him after the game as well, he's like, he's like an ice man. He's like, he's like, he's, he's, <laughs> you can kind of tell he's happy, but at the same time, you couldn't, you couldn't deduct from his kind of his, his body, his body language that this yeah. is a guy who just won a title, aged twenty-two, for his hometown club. I mean, you know, he was so cool and played it so calm and just fired up. You know, just kind of swept away the questions about possibly moving to Europe. Um, but yeah, but on the, on the more negative side, I thought Pizarro has had he's had a bad month. Yeah. I think he's had a bad month. Um, you know, to be taken off at half time in a Liga MX final. Um, I don't know. He just wasn't connecting in that first half. And I thought, you know, he, was, he slowed Monterrey down. And I think after the break, that was another reason that they kind of found it found it a little little bit more fluid. The the you know getting the ball forward was was a little bit easier without Pizarro, and that was. That's worrying because he's a player who obviously, you know, wants to go to Europe. Yeah. Look, look looking back uh, at at America, Amy. You know, what, what do you think lies ahead for for America? What do you think lies ahead for for Piojo? You know, after the season that he had, you know, where he had numerous injuries for, within his roster. I think I, I I tweeted this out late last night after I was done feeling the way I felt, uh, like. I know America is very much a title or bust kind of team. I mean, Herrera kept saying that time and time again. You know, it's a, it's considered a failure if we don't win. But I think you have to look at the all the circumstances that they had. And if you think about it, I, I mean, one of the things I, that I was 
kind of upset about it, if you will, was in the first leg. Yes, is that a red card for Cordova? Completely, of course. It has. He has to be sent out for that. But I wonder what this game would have looked like if he, if the Samuel Kim was in this game, oh, you know, so. or, um, you know, just like the like we said earlier, just these little circumstances. What if this hadn't happened, or what if that hadn't happened? And so much of that was the theme in America's season. You know, what if these players injured? Like, when was there ever, I think, one of the biggest consistencies was the fact of how inconsistent his starting 11 was. There was already, there's always so many changes that had to take place. So I think you look at that and you think they still made it to a final. It wasn't pretty and it wasn't just like, you know, just like Thomas saying, it's not pretty and it, but they made it this far that you think, you know, what could they do when, Herrera finally has all his, you know, all his pieces put together. Because, I mean, I know that people are kind of saying, like, what's next for him? But it seemed like both the the team and his staff were kind of saying that he's going to stay. You know, he's, he's very much set on being America's coach. And so I think you think about that, you reflect, you made it to a final. Okay, how can you improve? How can you win it next time? And then you, you kind of look at that from a more, you know, broader standpoint and you look at the rest of the teams and they're going to also improve. So you, you adapt to that too. You're going to factor in those, that improvement from those teams too. And uh, hopefully it's good. Hopefully, you know, they, he makes the the right changes, brings in the players that he wants or whatever it is that he's going to do. But I think overall you think of the circumstances that the team had and you literally made it to the very end. Your the final was decided on a PK shootout. Yeah. You're pretty satisfied with it. Yeah. Yeah, I think they need to. There's, there's issues that need to be resolved. You know, um, Guido Rodriguez is the big one. I mean, what's happening? Is he going to sign a new contract? Is he staying? Is he going? Is he staying till the summer? I mean, that's a big, big, uh, big player. I mean, I've just done a story on Liga Liga MX uh, Mexican football end of year awards, and he, he's my best Liga MX player of the year. I mean, yeah. even though America haven't won anything, um, I mean, he's an absolute beast. He dominates the midfield, and you know. That needs to be sorted. I think Miguel Herrera's future needs to be sorted, and, and more than anything, they need to they need to get going quickly. I mean, this final, it's the fact it was delayed isn't good for a couple of reasons, but an additional one is that they, they've got to get the, the transfer stuff sorted. I know they've signed Escobosa, I know they've signed Luis Fuentes, which are you know two two solid players. Um, but you know, if Guido Rodriguez leaves, then you need to you need to get somebody. You you absolutely oh, yeah. need to go out and spend some money. Um, Nico Castillo as well. I mean, what's he, he's had a really, really bad time with the injuries, not been yeah. scoring goals. I mean, th- there's still a few issues that they need to sort out. However, you know, if you look at Miguel Herrera's record since since the national team and even before that, um, you know, since he took over America, I think 2012. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. You know, it's absolutely ridiculous the consistency he's had in getting to semi-finals, the odd final, winning the odd trophy, and so. You know, I think that needs sorting out. Is he going to stay beyond this May or, or is he going to carry on? You know, if he needs to sign a new contract, if he signs a new contract, I think it brings more stability to the club. Um, and, and then they need to work from there. They can't have the same situation that they had this season where you've got, you know, you, you're at the end of August and you've got players leaving, Edson Alvarez, Mateo Soribe, um, Agustin Marchesin. I mean, just, yeah. these, these are key players in the team and they're leaving with the season already started. Then all of a sudden, you know, you got to bring other players in. I mean, Giovanni Dos Santos has, has had, it's been a bit of a disaster. Let's not make any bones about it. I mean, this is a guy who, with all the injuries that America have had going into that final, Gio should, I mean, he shouldn't even be on the bench anyways. I mean, he wasn't brought brought to America to, to sit on the bench. But then you watch him play last night and it's, you know, he does the, other, the odd thing that kind of makes you think he's still got something. But you never get the impression that Gio's going to kind of, kind of dominate a game for you, you know? I mean, I think that's the... I don't know. That's that's something else that I think there's a there's a question mark there about about Giovanni dos Santos and you know what he can actually bring now because it's been a long time before you know he's consistently put together five games where you can say yeah he's found he's found some form he's found some consistency he's impacting games and I don't know I don't know how far you'd have to go back now to to go to to look at five game period where he's regularly been starting and impacting I mean I think that's that's slightly concerning to be honest. Yeah, I, I'm not. I don't want to. I don't want to like be a defender of Gio. I don't. But you also have to take into account that like he got half of his skin ripped off. I don't know. And then you know he had to recover from that. But I will say, 
I mean, he did score his penalty. That doesn't recover everything that he should be doing on the field. Of course not. But, I mean, when push came to shove, he, he was one of the players that actually scored his penalty. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you know, you look at someone like Gio and you look at someone like Renato Ibarra and you think, you know, that, that yeah. was another big thing in the final. I mean, if, if, if Renato Ibarra had kept going on, the, you know, hadn't got injured again and obviously it was a big risk from Piojo, um, you know, that's that's the guy who's, who's impacting your games, you know what I mean? And um, even Roger Martinez, again, you know, he's been floating around and he shouldn't be. He should be an absolute starter. I mean, he's a guy who, who wasn't too far away from the Premier League last summer. Um, so, yeah, but, you know, I don't know. America were up there. America got a good set, set up for me. Um, obviously, there were issues to be ironed out, but, <laughs> you know, every club there's issues that need, that need ironing out all the time. It's the nature of uh, the business. And I think that, you know, they basically got a good structure. They've got a good youth team. They've got money to spend. Um, and I think the, these days they're, they're a smart team. They're, they're, not, they're not like that kind of irrational beast of the 70s and 80s when they did really well, but they did really well by spending big money and kind of basically outspending everybody else. Now they're doing it kind of more intelligently and recouping money as well. So I don't know. I think both these teams, you know, I know we're going to talk about a little bit about the decade and the years that gone past, but... You know, if, if when we look and we look at the top top title, you know, the, the teams with most titles, and if you were to project that into the next 10 years, then, I mean, America are up there with Monterrey and Tigres for me. I mean, I think those are the top three. If you were to predict in 10 years' time, which are the teams that are going to be, you know, at the top of the title charts for this for the, for the upcoming decade, then there's no doubt about it. It'd be Monterrey, America and Tigres. Yeah. No, I, I think you could also kind of make the case, and this is funny me saying this, but you can almost kind of, depending on how the season goes, like for Chivas too, but I think, yeah, I think immediately right now, you think about it, you think about the circumstances that fell upon these two teams, there's nothing but positives or improvements that are only going to add that much more, and what, what what more improvements can be added to two teams that already made the final, you know what I mean? So, yeah, it should be interesting. Um I'm happy for that narrative for, like I said before, for Monterrey and the women and the men's to getting those joint celebrations or getting those joint victories. I think for me, from a, you know, women's soccer coverage standpoint, that's only a positive for teams like that, you know, and hopefully it means for teams that aren't winning or want to win like that or want to have that feeling, um, they get more investment in their women's side. So I don't know. I think it was exciting. I think we've had two doses of really exciting um, finals from both the men's and the women's. So I, I like that aspect a lot from my own point of view. All right, where are we at? Sorry, guys. My internet keeps, keeps cutting in and out. So this definitely turned into... We started Tom talking about what do we not like about Cesar. Um, Tom mentioned your internet number always one, cutting off. Number one, internet. Then... Number two, he's, <laughs> he, he's, he, the way he talks, it's, it's kind of like, a, oh, you know, it's he always says maybe, sort of, kind of, like, it's like, just be definite, Cesar. He has Cesar. a Stop podcast being... <laughs> voice. I don't know if you guys noticed. He does have a podcast <laughs> voice. It's weird. It's like you talk to him, and then you start recording. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my girlfriend, Kimberly, definitely notices my podcast voice. Cesar, <laughs> do, you, do you know my voice, or is that is that something that you wouldn't do on, on, a, on a podcast ever? No, it's wait. What if the listeners don't actually know what I sound like? What if it's like that's that's they actually drastic? They see you on different. the street and they don't even know it's you. Like, hey guys, it's Cesar. <laughs> <laughs> um, anywho, uh, any other any other uh, final thoughts uh, on the final? Any other final thoughts uh, before we start looking back at our top moments uh, from 2019 and decade? And... I just want to. I just want to say that it is a conspiracy that I lost the Ligia Madness bracket final. I know for the people, it must have been nice to have a not me win, but I will be back next year. I gave up. I, had, I, I stopped paying attention. Not gonna lie. I was like, I was like, I'm not in it. I don't know. Not... <laughs> so rude. So rude. But congratulations to Rafael Diaz from FMF State of Mind for winning. I tried to get him on the show today, but he is busy. So apparently oh, winning yeah. gets to your head. I don't want to be on, does it? Anyway, I want to be on. Um, final thoughts about the final. Quickly, I think Leo MX is doing a really good job. Um, I think they've improved the social media. I think that the the produce they make the it's like more of a show now when you go to a final as well. They're building it up. They do all the pyrotechnics and all that beforehand, um, and it, and it's good. I mean, I think it's it was much needed. Um, you know, they're making it into kind of feel like a, a bigger event. 
Um, so yeah, I think I think that's that's worth pointing out. And again, you know, I know people maybe listen all the time are probably bored of it now, but I mean, I mean, the TV figures for that final in the states were were ridiculous. I mean, yeah, was it average three point three or three point six million people? I mean, the highest club match of the year. Um, I mean, that's. I mean, when you think about what what that ty- what that sentence means, I mean, you know, you're talking the Champions League, you're talking, you know, the biggest Premier League games, you're talking El Clasico, you know, you're, ta- you're talking some really, really big world games. But in the United States, you know, once again, Liga MX has shown that it is it is the absolute um, top dog. And it was going head to head with Sunday Night Football. You know, yeah, NFL. So it didn't get, I mean, it didn't beat it because that's still like a notorious American sports thing, but it got pretty close. It was pretty close. So even what, that what is did, a huge. What did, uh, do, do we know how much the uh, Sunday nights. Um, the foosball. The Sunday night foosball. No. Sunday night foosball. No. <laughs> No, I don't know the exact numbers, but I know that you know I have to go and look it back, look it up again. But I know people were even commenting on that, like that's a like it was pretty, it was pretty close to get the or not pretty close, but it was pretty significant for them to get those numbers, considering that was also a factor. Yeah, yeah. I, I I agree with everything you guys just said there, but yeah, Tom, the next step is just trying to get our bosses, uh, you know, to to pay more attention. To that. Sorry, bosses, well, you know, if you're listening. Speaking, listen to this, of, speaking actually, of this, you're probably not listening, to this, bosses. Speaking of this, this is an open, <laughs> this is an open space. You know, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say this because I'm I guess I'm like a third party to this yeah. aspect. So every for the last couple of weeks, I'm gonna say maybe like the last three weeks, so to speak, or like when when the playoffs have been going on, I've been yeah. going to specific media outlets to go check, you know, the day after the games and stuff like that. But specifically this one today, there was nothing else from the soccer world, correct me if I'm wrong, that was a final esque like the Liga MX final had been. Right. And it was a PK shootout. It was a super significant game. Why does it take me so long for front page websites to scroll down and find stories about this match? I, I like I don't get that. Like I, ha- I like I have to scroll maybe one, two, three times to finally be able to consume the content. Because and I say and, and I, I, I yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Because a Premier League player probably sneezed or something yesterday, and that's probably but, uh, that, no, the headline well, and news. You know what? It, no, and that's and that's where I'm getting at. You know, like yes, there are, you know, there is Premier League stuff happening. Yeah, VAR is an issue that we see time and time again. But this was a final. You know, this was a Liga MX final that we just talked about. Three point six million people aired, you know, tuned in. I mean, you know, kudos to Zach Petty. You know, Zach when he's petty on Twitter. You know, a tilted screen on YouTube is getting tons of viewer viewership, you know, viewing numbers on YouTube for this final. And it takes that long. Like, and this is coming from somebody that's literally trying to look at it from a consumer standpoint that is like, hey, if I want to find Ligamex in English, where is it? Why can't why is it not on a sidebar at the top of the screen right as I go to that website? I don't know. It's just you guys have you guys have gotten to vent, so I just needed to vent that point right now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Tom. No, 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 no. Yeah, it's uh, no, it's like even amongst the journalists there. I mean, you know, considering all that, there's very few people from from the states. You know what I mean? And it's like at the game and stuff. And I think that'd be the ideal, you know, that further down the line, that that media outlets obviously are covering it more, but but also are willing to send some, you know, people down to the big game. You know, like you two. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. That'd be the, that'd be the the ideal. I think I think the issue too is just that it, I think sites have tried giving that kind of Liga Mekis coverage a try, and I think the issue is, and I've seen numerous sites trying it, but I think the issue is that they have to kind of try to consistently provide that coverage and try to build a fan base and try to build a viewer, like kind of like people who are constantly clicking on that coverage. Because my guess is, once again, I don't know, maybe I don't have a hundred percent of the input here, but just I feel like they make an effort, but they don't always do the best effort. And then they might question why it doesn't get the clicks that they think will, that they're going to be getting. You and know? Someone, that, that, that's my assumption. Right. But as someone who's in a, I guess, more and more, not, I don't want to do this like in that way. So I hope it doesn't come off that way. But as somebody that's in a more marginalized group, at, which is w- women's soccer coverage, it's a perpetuating cycle. Like if yeah. you don't give it coverage or convince yourself that coverage isn't needed, well, then coverage isn't going to happen, which means people aren't going to consume it, which means you're not going to get coverage for it. So it's like a perpetuating cycle yeah. where 
you can't you can't use that as yeah. your excuse anymore. Somebody had this really brilliant thread. I think it was Kelsey Trainer on Twitter that said, you know, track, you know, people that run track are at different points within the track because obviously it curves. So you can't be in the same point because then you're not going to have that fair, you know, that fair advantage when you finally have to start running. It's the exact same concept. Yeah. You know, you have to be able to give yourself an an even line or like realize that the even line is non-existent for this coverage because you haven't given it the same chance as the other things that kind of happen organically. So, I mean, that I excuse, yeah. that excuse yeah. to me is kind of bogus because, uh, you know, for me- like Liga Mex Femini, like we're going to have to do it from scratch. We have to realize we're years behind compared to the men's side. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think in terms of the men's, the, ga- the men's game in Mexico, I think on the women's game, there's, you know, there's not there's not much excuse because there, there you can get access. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. You can get access yeah. to the play. On the men's side, the only the only the other side of the argument that I'd that I'd give you is that it's also very difficult to get the yeah. interviews to get the access. Yeah. You know, to be fair though, last night I think it's changing as well. I think I think yeah. I think the clubs now in the Liga MX are much more aware that they have to do more stuff in English that. You know, I don't think it's going to be long before Liga MX. I mean, I think in 2020, I'd be very surprised if we close out next year and they don't have a Twitter in English or they're tweeting in English. I don't know how they're going to do it, but I'd be very surprised. I'd be very surprised if Chivas isn't doing it, for example, in this time next year. So I think there is a an opening, you know what I mean? But then again, it's it's also Mexico. <laughs> I mean, and I say that in, in the good sense, in that it's, it's also media wars. I mean, you know... I think everybody knows about Televisa and the control it's had. I mean, you know, Televisa still is a big, big player. And Televisa, a lot of the time, doesn't like, especially with the clubs it's own, so like Club America or, you know, the team, the clubs that it has rights for, a lot of the time it's difficult to kind of sidestep them because they want all the inter- interviews and, and, and they're always having a fight with Fox and they're fighting with ESPN and they're fighting with, you know, everybody else, you know, with, with Telemundo and, and, and it's a real battle. It's a, it's a battleground. It's uh, it's actually interesting to to maybe expand it in a future pod, but I think the other side of it is yeah, I think that even when people have done it in English, sometimes and I, you know, including myself, I'd love to go out there and and be able to. I think John Arnold what a tweet about it today, but you know, Antonio Mohamed, you know, he went to the Basilica and you know his son passed away in 2016, and and but to, but to kind of build that story, but through speaking to him, you know what I mean, and him telling that story and then you get a really, really good story out there. Whereas, basically, I think if you went through Monterrey right now, there's very little chance that Monterrey, and I'm not saying like today, the day after the title, but, you know, in the next, in two months' time during the season, I think there's very little chance or there's not much of a chance that they would actually give you that interview. And I think that's the other side of the, the coin. Yeah. And it's like a kind of double-edged sword. The, the, you know, the media companies you know, once they go in there, sometimes they want that little bit extra and sometimes I feel we've not been able to give it them because partly because um, of the restrictions within within Mexican football. Yeah, that was the other, that was the other thing I was going to say too, is that, yeah, I think it's it's, it's difficult because, yeah, because once again, it's 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 the companies may, not making enough of an effort to, uh, to regularly put out that content and not doing the investment, but like Tom said, at the same time too, on the other end, it's also really difficult because the access is 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 very very tough. So what you're left with is basically just a handful of people, well, us, just going out there and just doing our best to provide that content. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. 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 yeah but, but like I said, like I mean, I think um, you look at I don't know, just you know, I, I was looking at some of my tweets from last night, and you know, I got to interview Vincent Jensen. Yeah. You know, and I'm there on the field and I speak to him, and and you know. And it got a lot of hits. I'm not saying it got millions, but considering I'm only pointing out on my Twitter account, which is obviously limited, which doesn't have anywhere near the amount that a big media company would have. I mean, it felt like people were inter- interacting a lot. You know what I mean with that with, yeah. with that interview that I did. You know, even with Jonathan Gonzalez, who didn't even play. Um, and I think I don't know. That gives me some hope. You know, that, that gives me some yeah. hope that when when you do that, get access. And you put it out there, then people actually, you know, really do like it. And the same when I've interviewed, I think Jurgen Dam before, and everyone went crazy about it. Everyone was like, "Oh, Jurgen Dam speaks English, unbelievable!" And nobody knew, but um, but you know, it gives me hope when you see that people seem to be really interacting with those, you know, with those kinds of things you do on on social media. 
Yeah, I felt the same way after after Monterrey Femenil's victory um, when I interviewed Anya Mejia, which is a Mexican-American player. She scored, you know, in the first leg of the final. And even the fact that I was speaking to her in English, she was like, okay, you know, because, you know, yeah, she's kind of, she's here from, you know, from L.A., and everybody was speaking to her in Spanish. Of course, she can speak in Spanish. But, you know, I asked her, can I talk to you in English? And she's like, yeah, thank you so much. And, you know, same thing like like Tom said, you know, that got tons of interaction. People are excited to listen to Mexican-American players speaking in English, playing in the Liga MX. And that's the positives. Um, so, you know, yeah, those are those are good things to look at. All right. So we got like like, like around like 20 something minutes left. So let's uh, look back at 2019, the top moments from 2019. We're also going to look back in a decade uh, but for you, Tom, whether it be Liga Vecchis, Liga Vecchis Femini, the Mexicans abroad, L3, L3 Femini, what, what, what stood out to you in 2019? 2019, what stood out? Yeah, mm. for your top moments. It could be from anything. Let's go, let's go to Amy first. It's been a bad year for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, not personally, Tom. <laughs> All right, it's not personal. This isn't the first <laughs> That person. I mean, I know, twenty minutes. See, 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 see the issue is, Tom. When you visited, you you were downing those beers as if they were just Coronas, but you were you were downing IPAs. And I don't know. That next day was so rough over here at San Diego. Amy, uh, <laughs> that that's my problem with IPAs. When you talk to it's really really deceptive, aren't they? Especially when they're smooth. They just you know you don't even count them. You're just. <laughs> Speaking uh, of which, no, no, I actually found this really good. I was gonna send you a picture, so I thought this is totally like super digression. But um, like two two days ago, because I was at my grandma's house um, to go see the snow and stuff, I found this really good. It's called like like mango something. It's like an ale, but it's okay. like you could buy it at the liquor store. It was really good. Now you're I had just to making me you... sound like 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 some sort of like uh, like beer hipster. You're or just. It... Are you not? Talk. I, mean, I, I don't know. No, no, I know. But like that, all the listeners, it's just going to like, it's, it's going like to solidify some sort of like stereotype about me. But <laughs> basically, you, brand if you, new information. If you, if you can get it from the liquor store, Amy, it's not good enough for Cesar. <laughs> oh, that's true. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm God. sorry. I'm so sorry. It's going to be specialist brewery. If it's not that's specialized true. local brewery. Yeah, I'm gonna. Awesome. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm just gonna pour it out of the can, and I'm gonna put it in one of those cool like craft beer stuff, and and tell and convince him like, <laughs> oh, this is actually from a super cool hipster place in Hawthorne. Just kidding, <laughs> Jessica. Anyways, only macro brewers now. Amy, top top 2019. Let's start with Liga Mekis. Liga Mekis feminine. Okay, so Liga Mekis feminine. Obviously, for those who follow me on Twitter, I got to go to. Some pretty good games. I got to see Monterrey with and against Cholos with Cesar, you know, a few weeks ago, and then obviously I got to go to the final, which was amazing. Monterrey getting their first win, um, huge, huge point. But I think overall, not just for me, um, you got to see the growth of it from yeah. its infancy and people just getting excited about the fact that there was women's soccer to now having a sense of maturity. They've let go of a lot of strict rules. You know, they're letting dual nationals in. They're increasing the age limit. And so you're seeing a lot of good to the point that players that were abroad are not coming over here. You just saw it. Bianca Sierra and Stephanie Mayor, you know, came to Tigres. So I'm really liking its growth, I'm really liking people wanting to consume it. Um, and I can't wait to see what this season has in store. But I just like to have I like to see how it, it's been growing this whole year and how, you know, to the point that, you know, if that's an extension of the league, the, you know, the academy that they're going to have for young girls, it's just, um, I think I said this, you know, I think the thing that's both slightly depressing, but also kind of uh, illuminating about the league is that there were so many girls ready to play that you're getting these really talented, you know, hidden gems finally shining in a, in a platform and a place that they can do really well. So that was really cool. And then from a Liga MX standpoint, um, I like this final. I like the final America yeah. loss, but I really like just like what we were talking about. You know, people are getting excited about it. And I know we're going to have issues where people are kind of trying to turn it into a caricature of a thing. But, you know, we can we still see time and time again that you can have exciting soccer from both of, from both of the leagues. Yeah, for me, uh, let me looking at feminine. I mean, yeah, it's just. I mean, obviously, like any other league, like any other competition, there's all, always room for improvement. There's always room for growth. There's room for, I don't know, making things a little bit more professional. You know, better pay and whatnot, especially when it comes to the women's game. But 
I mean, it was just so exciting just seeing some of those attendance numbers that were coming out. Uh, it was really, really exciting seeing some of these female players, you know, becoming more household names, you know, just the excitement, like the, them becoming more true celebrities in the, in the Mexican soccer world. So that, that kind of like excites me. And of course, seeing Rayadas win the title uh, for uh, looking over at the men's side. Um, it's going to seem weird saying this just because, you know, they're, you know, it's not exactly a team that we've been talking about in the last you know, couple of weeks, but uh, it was fun seeing Leon, especially early on in 2019. You know, I think they're another team uh, worth bringing up and seeing the growth of, you know, JJ Macias. I mean, obviously, you got to bring up Monterrey. That's the, the big story for me in 2019, especially after what they did in the Club World Cup and after, you know, that result they got against Liverpool. I know we're talking about a loss here, but they played quite well. Um, and yeah, and I think we just have to continue talk about the continued domination of the North, you know, Monte Tigres, you know, heading into 2020, they, they still look very, very powerful in it. You know, after Monterrey won the title, after Tigres yeah. won the title, you, you, you just kind of, and it, it just, it kind of, they continue to set the mark for well, the league. Yeah. You said, yeah, we saw what happened with Santos, with Santos Necaxa. Yeah, they did well in the regular season, but just, I mean, just, it's just no stopping Monterrey Tigres right now. Yeah. I mean, look at the major finals this year. Liga MX, you know, the Apertura, men's, women's, you know, both, both Monterrey. Look at the, the Clausura, both Tigres. You look at the CONCAF Champions League final, Tigres-Monterrey. I mean, it is, it is yeah. kind of, it has been quite a domination. I think seven out of the last ten Liga MX titles have been from teams from the North. So, yeah, no, definitely. Um, my favourite moment of the year was an obscure one. Um, it's probably uh, it's probably the thing that I did in terms of media that got most reaction um, and it didn't go out in English but it went out in Spanish and it was leaving the stadium after Tigres had beaten Leon um, and the Tigres and I was walking back to my car to drive back to Guadalajara and there was some Tig- uh, Leon fans 14 years old and they they were they applauded the Tigres play uh, fans out the stadium, um, and it was just like I don't know maybe we're just accustomed to like kind of bad sport, sport you know bad bad feeling and bad sportsmanship in 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 you know not just in football but just in in all sports these days it's, it's mm-hmm. rare that you see such sports you know such um, I don't know I can't, I can't think of that word but but um, but yeah to see that and then I went up to chat to him and he said I said why are you, why are you doing that. Like, you know what? You know why? Why you? Because he, he was saying to the Tigres fans like, "Oh, congratulations! You guys played really well." You know, and it was like he was like, "Well, you know, they played really well. We gave everything, but at the end of the day, they won, and and they deserved it." And it was just like, I don't know. Especially, I don't want to read too much into it. Especially when you look at how much how much bad press Mexico gets, you know, in in the in the news, and you know, the even even in the football side. I mean, it's a lot easier from the Mexico side to to kind of publish a story that's something negative about Mexico than it is to publish something, you know, positive. And for me, that was just like, you know what, this is, uh, this is, this is the other side to Mexico. I mean, you know, just like there is sportsmanship. It's not, it's not all like it's sometimes um, painted from, from the outside. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was an excellent moment right there, Tom, but uh, I think so. let, let, let's talk about some of the other highlights that we saw from 2019 when it comes to, the Mexicans abroad, when it comes to uh, L3, when it comes to uh, L3 Feminita. Amy, kind of looking at the bigger stage, kind of looking beyond kind of, you know, kind of domestic soccer, looking uh, at the national teams, looking at the players abroad. You know, what stood out to you in 2019? Uh, Obviously, Raul Jimenez, but before I get into that, um, I just want to say from my own personal standpoint, since it's my turn to answer, um, from a Mexicans abroad standpoint, I thought it was absolutely cool i think is the word i'm trying to go for antuna's rise to where he yeah. is now um because i i didn't expect it no and you going into 2019 you wouldn't have expected this to be a storyline but watching him with la galaxy seeing him you know from luck or a matter of absences make it to the gold cup team have a few goals have a great game against cuba um you know have a few more goals post, you know, in the late parts of the season with LA Galaxy to now being considered, you know, one of the, you know, massive additions to Chivas, um, which I actually got into with the Chivas and Norte guys that they invited me on. I'm saying, you know, let's be patient with him. But I think to see him have such a year 
was really cool because I actually got to see it with LA Galaxy and got to see him, you know, get improve in it and just have his moments. It was really cool. So I really liked that as a, I guess, per- more personal, you know, reporting with on a specific player kind of thing um, for Mexicans abroad. But obviously, I mean, Raul Jimenez with Wolves is just such a, like amazing thing not just because i'm such a huge fan of the epl but just like the cultural impact that he's had um i think adam serrano was at the game between liverpool and wolves and you see little kids with raul jimenez scarves and they're his jersey and it's just he's creating such an iconic moment for himself where he very well may go down as one of their legends is a really cool thing to see for him yeah for me it's definitely i mean i think when we're looking at you know the bigger picture, yeah, we could talk about Tata, you know, his near-perfect run with with Mexico, you know, in 2019, the Gold Cup title, you know, seeing the the impact league Mexico's femenil with L3 femenil. But I think when you're looking beyond, you know, just uh, domestic soccer, yeah, it's I think 2019 was undoubtedly the the year of Raúl Jiménez, and I think like uh, I, what I what I think of is when I think of Raul Jimenez is you know I always think back to his time at Benfica, you know, with uh, Atleti Madrid. You know, obviously he had a lot of success with Benfica, but he had a tough time, you know, solidifying a starting role. You know, things over that Atleti didn't really pan out the way that, you know, fans kind of, you know, wanted it to. So when he had that loan, when he initially made that loan move with Wolves, there was excitement because he was going to be playing the EPL. But I don't think we, I, I didn't anticipate him playing at this level. I didn't anticipate Wolves <laughs> playing at this level either. Yeah. And I think it's just, when you and I'm not going to say that he's at the level of Chicharito with Manchester United because I think when you play with with a team like Manchester United, that's just a completely different beast, and the attention you get there, it's it's just a completely different world there. But you think you think about the way that we continued to talk about Chicharito when he was doing well at Manchester. You you think about the way that you know the soccer world, and not just North American soccer, but the way that the soccer world continues to talk about Chicharito, and you wonder, it's like maybe. Maybe a few years down the line, we'll be we'll be looking back and seeing what what, what Jimenez is doing with Wolves in the same kind of manner. You know, maybe this is going to be his stepping stone to a bigger club. Because in my mind, I I thought you know maybe Wolves, you know him 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 playing for a team that's competing for a Champions League spot. That is maybe the peak of what what Jimenez can do. That's maybe his ceiling. But I don't know. Maybe and I and I don't want to overhype any player a player too much but maybe maybe he's capable of doing a little bit more maybe he's capable of playing for a bigger team but either way 2019 was definitely the year of Raul Jimenez for me yeah without so, a doubt Salma are you, are you there what are, what are your thoughts maybe <laughs> maybe he maybe he got lost he's still watching his video from from uh, that Leon fan no, no I'm just thinking you know he's not had a good great year for Raul Jimenez I mean he needs to kind of get his act together I think no no he's had a good year he's had a good year um you know I think you know I think Chicharito struggled I think Lozano struggled but the big the big one has been has been Raul I mean it's been amazing what he's done I mean two minds about what he should do you know whether whether it would be good to move on I mean you always want to see it, don't you? You want to see him yeah. go to those big clubs, but you know, like you were saying, this. So, I mean, he's already been at the big clubs. You know, maybe yeah. maybe Wolves is just his home. You know, he's happy there. He, the style, I think, of the the way Espiritu um, Nuno Santo, no Nuno Espiritu Santo, so do, do <laughs> a little side of the cross, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, the way he plays, I think, suits him. So, yeah, I think 100% Raúl Jiménez has been, you know, the the outstanding. Um, Mexican abroad. I'm trying to think who who, who would put in second. Vela, uh, may, maybe Tecatito. Oh, well, Vela, yeah, but you know, Samuel, isn't it? <laughs> wow, wow. We need to get this kind of slander on this podcast. <laughs> you guys, it's so unnecessary. I <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think I'd put probably Tecatito. I mean. You know, obviously, leaving the MLS guys, I think Jonathan Dos Santos had a good season as well. But um, in terms of the Europe-based players, I think Tecatito was... I don't know. He, he, he's shown that... I think he's just had a, a really solid year. And, and, and you know, he's becoming that he's becoming that consistent pro that we, we hope for. Maybe not as explosive. Maybe not with the amount of goals and assists that we'd, that we'd probably like. But um, at least he's playing regularly. You know what I mean? And he's like, at least he's like kind of guaranteed that... that um, 
you know, that start. And to be honest, he's a player even more than Jimenez that I'd quite like to see move on now. You know, I think he's been at Porto for a good few years now. It'd be nice to go and see what he can do in the Premier League. I mean, that's the other thing with Jimenez that's interesting. Well, at least I found it interesting because, you know, like you were saying, Cesar there, I mean, I think we all got it wrong. I mean, I think I was especially critical when he wasn't getting playing time at, you know, not as much athletic because that's a big club and you've got big, big players with a, with a lot of experience starting ahead of you. But then, you know, at Benfica, the, the way he couldn't, he just couldn't force his way into the starting team. I don't know, I got to the point where I was like, what is that, what is happening behind the scenes? What's Raul not doing? And I think that, um, you know, I kind of questioned, questioned him. Um, but it makes you think as well when you translate that to other Mexican players. You know, who, who, when, who, mm-hmm. which players, when, when yeah. you get, if you, if they get the chance to be in the right team, in the right league, that how many of them could step up? And, you know, mm-hmm. my, my belief is, is a lot of them because I think, I think there's plenty of players even domestically in Liga MX that could easily play in Europe. You know, I don't think, I, I, I have no doubt, no, no doubt about that. I'm not saying at the elite level like Hector Herrera's playing that, but I do think that, the, you know, they could, they could establish themselves quite comfortably in Europe. So, Anyways, I'm just rambling there. <laughs> All right. Well, Amy, Amy's got to got to head out soon. So, Amy, just to, okay. since we got to wrap things up pretty quickly for you, but uh, uh, name name uh, one or two moments for you in the decade. I know it's oh, I already got it right like, here. I was preparing them while you guys were talking because I got to go. All right. What are your right. what are your moments of the decade? Mexican All right. Here soccer. we go. Liga MX, May 26, 2013, America versus Cruz Azul. I was yeah. pregnant, and I was, didn't know what I was going to do with my life anymore. And America comes back. Moises Moneros gets the header, and it just confirms to me that I need to continue playing. That I need to continue following soccer. This kid in my belly is going to see my passion for soccer. And that was it for me. Liga MX Femenil, the fact that it just exists, finally. That's a huge thing in the decade, and it's just going to bring even more stuff going into this next decade. Mexicans abroad, uh, it would probably be the current stuff we got going on. We got Vela, we got Raul, um, pretty significant. Obviously, Chicharito back in the day. Um, so those th- those those are the big ones for me that I'm just thinking off the top of my head. I mean, the men side, obviously, my bread and butter, the thing that makes us all love this stuff so much. So, you know, Germany 2018, um, 2015, after Ollie was born, coming back in the U.S. to get to the Confederations Cup, that was huge. Uh, Geo's, you know, <laughs> Geo's last one, Tim Howard, uh, just to get off the top of my head because I have to go soon. And then for the women, um, it's been a tough couple of years, obviously, elimination after elimination. We don't know what's going to happen with the Olympics going into this year, but um, I can see nothing but positives for them. I think this next generation of girls, which kills me so much because you just think of the, the past generations that don't get this type of attention, that don't get this type of, you know, coverage, who don't have, who didn't have a league to go to, to finally, you know, improve their skills. That's super heartbreaking, but I can only imagine that things will go forward. I don't know if they're going to qualify for the Olympics. It's going to hurt. It's going to be hard to watch, but it's just one of those things that'll help us hopefully move forward when it comes to women's soccer. So those are my things. Those are the things. And of course, I wouldn't be on this podcast. I wouldn't be doing this stuff without you guys. And oh. that was probably one of the hugest moments of the decade for me. So thank you guys so much. Thank you. That thank makes, you, that, Amy. That makes it feel really good. <laughs> Going into the new year and a high after that. I know, right? <laughs> I was just a random girl with nothing to do, but really liked what you guys were doing. And, and you guys said, hey, let's take a chance. And now you guys are stuck with me forever. Oh, no. Your qualifications were better than mine. If we look at like what I studied, <laughs> studied in college, to be honest. So, I don't know. It wasn't. I was like, oh, man, am I going to be working for her in a few years? I don't know. One of those might be a mistake. <laughs> no, thank you, Amy. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right. I got to go. But to the right. lovely people that listen to the Mexican soccer show, um, you know, just like I say on the Hour Football Pod, just keep up with the content because you guys obviously enjoy it. You guys obviously respect us. And just like John said on the, you know, Mexican Onda, you guys consuming this and engaging with it proves to us that it's worth covering. So just keep doing that going into the 2020, please. Thank you, Amy. Well said. Well said. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Later, All right. guys. All right. Really quickly, going through my uh, moments of the decade, uh, Liga, Liga Mekis, I mean, that, 
epic final between Club America and Cruz Azul that Amy brought up. Uh, we got to bring up the arrival of Gignac as well. I mean, I think that's got to be, the, the, I mean, just within the decade, uh, the best signing. Uh, I think something else that stood out to me was, I mean, even though it was brief, even though it looked like it could be another incredible sign that was a game changer for Liga Mekis, but it turned out to be something a little different. But just the, the I'm glad that in the, in the the myth that is Ronaldinho and just the the fantastical like soccer creature that he is, you know, that we got to see a, a little bit of his magic in Liga Mekis. And yeah, it wasn't maybe what we wanted it to be, but man, we we definitely saw some magical moments with him on the field. Uh, Blanco's goodbye game. Uh, for some reason, that just continues to stick out to me. Just there's something so extremely Liga Mekis about Blanco, and it, it, he's definitely had you know, a little bit of a belly out there going out in the field. It was against like Morelia. It was like a regular season match that they allowed him to have this goodbye game. He played like 20 or 30 something minutes, and he and he looked like an incredible player. I think he was America's best player on the field, and he hit the he hit the crossbar as well. There's something so bizarre, and sometimes the bizarreness of Liga Mekis frustrates me because it's the only thing that people will focus on. But man, that was just one of my highlights of the decade. Um, also, I think <laughs> it's true, though, isn't it? It's interesting, though, because it is. Yeah, I, I've also like been thinking about it a bit as well. It's like I don't know those things do make it special as well, and they do yeah. come as like the talking points, don't they? Of course. Like, it's yeah. like even the Berry Cruz. I mean, it's an absolute disaster. I mean, for the league, it's a disaster. But then at the same time, it's like. I mean, it's absolutely crazy story, you know what I mean? That yeah, that I think keeps people captivated. I mean, you know, I don't know. Yeah, but with with Liga Mekis, I think the other thing I have to bring up. I mean, I mean, it's not uh, it's not something that's like, oh, personally, I think it's really cool. But I think if you're talking about the decade, you have to talk about the growth and domination of Tigres and Monterrey. You know, and I, I think that's just something that you have to bring up in Liga Mekis. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the 2020s with those two powerhouses. Um, Liga Mekis Femenile, I think for me, I mean, just the moment of the decade was just that first Copa Mekis tournament, you know, it was kind of a, like a soft open for, you know, for, for Liga Mekis Femenile. They're like testing out the waters, like, all right, let's see how this is going to go. Let's see how this tournament is going to go. But Ember streaming it on my phone and it was really bizarre. It, it kind of like, because there were always talks about it. It's like, oh, it's like women's soccer going to be you know, at the same level as Liga Mekis on the men's side. Like, when are they going to do this? Is it going to happen? And after all the rumors and the talks about it happening and me finally watching it on my phone, it, it, it was, I know, I, I remember specifically I was like watching it too. And I was like getting some breakfast. I remember, I know, it kind of like, it struck a chord with me. And it, I know, it felt pretty proud of uh, Mexican soccer at that point. Uh, Mexicans abroad, I mean, you got to bring up Chicharito. With Manchester United, I mean, like I said, we we still continue to look back and talk about him in such high esteem, you know. Um, and it was crazy seeing uh, some list recently uh, from Manchester United, and it was the top goal scorers of the decade for Manchester United. And Chicharito is still number three, and he was probably at number two until semi recently because I forget which United player it was that surpassed him. But you know, it wasn't too long in the past that he was at that number two position behind Wayne Rooney. So I think he, I got to bring up Chicharito. Uh, Carlos Vela with the Real Sociedad, you know, at one point, 2013, 2014, he was considered one of the best, you know, in a wingers, one of the best players in La Liga. And within the same conversation as Ronaldo and Messi, you know, and I and I and I missed those days of watching Vela over there uh, in Spain. Um, you got to talk about Jimenez with Wolves. Uh, personally, for me, also, Guardado with PSV. I think, you know, Guardado has, you know, he's kind of, I don't think maybe, maybe, maybe he isn't at his very best anymore. Maybe what the best Guardado was during those PSV days. Maybe we still see a little bit of that with Real Betis. But I think Guardado with PSV, just because he's one of my favorite Mexican national team players, if not my favorite, uh, just seeing him play at that level. Remember that that draw that he helped get for PSV against uh, Atleti? Uh, was definitely like a big highlight for me. Uh, talk about all three. Uh, the 2011 Gold Cup goal by Gio. Got to bring that up. Mexico defeating Germany uh, in the World Cup. Uh, the 2012 Olympics. And of course, uh, any win over the U.S. men's national team. <laughs> and for El Tri Feminine, uh, we got to talk about the U-17 Women's World Cup final. I know, I know it's not the senior women's side but seeing them uh, qualify for this uh, qualify and like make it to this final and kind of like prove that women's soccer is worth in mexico is worth paying attention to and worth really recognizing i think that kind of was a big step in the right direction for women's soccer in mexico so i think for me that was one of the the moments uh the decade when it comes to l3 feminine uh so tom for you i know i know it was a 
a little bit of a rant there for all the different things that stood out to me. But for you, what, what, what stood out to you? He covered, yeah. he covered them all. I think so, right? Yeah, what do you have left? Come on. No, I mean, no, I'll just go over, like, my personal highlights from covering uh, Mexican soccer this decade. From here, I'd say you're not going to you're not going to get a better highlight than that Chucky Lozano goal in Moscow against Germany. Yeah. You know, with the majority of fans, Mexican, you know, like a mini, mini Azteca. And, you know, after having followed the team so closely for, you know, the past three years, you know, going to, you know, 95% of the games and, you know, getting to know people within the federation, the coaching staff, you know, even the players to a degree. And, you know, to, to kind of, to, to live that goal and then, you know, just the whole experience with the Mexico fans as well. Um, that that's my personal highlight in terms of what what I've done, and, and you know, it's one of the best things I've ever seen in football. I mean, it was just it was just an unbelievable experience. And um, and I mean, I know people, you know, sometimes they write on Twitter and they, they write to you and say, yeah, but you know, after that, after that, look what happened. It was the same old. It doesn't matter. Football's about you know, these these high high levels of emotion and producing right. emotion. And you're not going to beat that. I mean, it doesn't matter what happened after. I mean, you know, what, did a team that reached, you know, a team that, that reached the, the semi-final or the quarter-final, they might not have had enjoyed half the emotion of the, what Mexico fans experienced that game. Um, and the other one, I think, was, um, you know, Chivas winning the title um, yeah. Yeah. On, on a personal level. And, it, and that's because, you know, I'd lived in Guadalajara at that point you know, probably eight years, you know, um, and, and I think the, the couple of years before they won the title, I'd been going to pretty much every game as well. So it's like, I think, I don't know, it was just, you, you, through that championship, you kind of, and not just the final, but the build-up as they went through the Liguilla and, you know, Matias Almeida coming in and the, this turnaround in the club. Um, you know, I think I think the, the, the film, no, the Chivas film, which kind of documents the championship, I don't know. It was it's special. I mean, I think it gives you an understanding. Or it gave me an understanding firsthand of you know what Chivas means as well. You know, to Mexican football, um, and obviously the way it counteracts with America. We saw America last night. We saw America a year ago win the title against Cruz Azul, and I know it was. Um, but yeah, I'd say the I'd say those two are the the my personal highlights. All right. So uh, thanks to Tom. Thanks to Amy. I think that about wraps it up for. Not only a year, but the, the decade. decade. The decade, man. I should have prepped more for this podcast. I should have. <laughs> I should have made. I should have made sure my internet was working pretty well. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe this time next decade we'll have uh, we'll have good internet. <laughs> <laughs> man, I, I can only hope, Tom. I can only hope. But <laughs> I think I think uh, I mean what Amy said. You know earlier, I think she she perfectly summed it up. You know, I I don't think we can kind of have a better. Uh, you know, way of closing the episode out better than what she said. But then a, a sincere thank you to, to everyone who's been listening to us, you know, not only in 2019, but the last few years. Oh, it's not even a few years now, is it, Tom? Is it is it more than that? I don't know. We're getting old, man. I'm in my 30s now. It's kind of weird to think about, but, uh, <laughs> but no. But, I'm still but 28. They, yeah. <laughs> but but thank you to the listeners. Thank, thank you to everyone who's ever listen to any episode, whether it be one episode, whether you're, you know, you're a diehard fan, whether you've ever, you know, met us in real life, whether you've ever seen us at a game, whether you've ever read any of our articles, whether you've ever, a, a, any, any little bit like of, you know, you know, attention that you give to us, any kind of retweet, any kind of like. So thank, thank you. Thank you. It's sincere, sincere. Thank you to all of you out there who listen to our podcast, you know, and they, of course, thank you to, thank you to Tom. Thank you to Amy. Thank you to, thank you to Wiso. And I think, uh, thank you, Adriana. And even taking like looking further, you know, thank you. Thank you to Naive. Thank you to Jason. Thank you everybody who's ever been involved, uh, in the podcast. And I'm really, really looking forward to seeing what we do, uh, in, in 2020. We do, you know, we, we, we are looking to, to, to make it a little bit of a better show, you know, we are looking to improve upon it, you know, so I'm looking forward to what we're going to be doing in the future, but, but yeah, once again, thank you, Bajillion Times. And uh, yeah, and until next time, we'll see you on the next episode of uh, the Mexican Soccer Show. See you guys around.